0: Good evening again. If you would, please turn to, in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. What I want to cover tonight is a look at the first chapter of Nehemiah. I know that's quite a bit to cover in 10 to 12 minutes. But I think uh, I would recommend that, uh, in your own time, look through this chapter and see the the many truths that are here. But what I want to present this evening is a proposition that Nehemiah demonstrates through true compassion, that true compassion results in action when functioning in obedience to God's leading. So uh, if you would, in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Well, first of all, you would think it would appear as though in verse one, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekaliah. You would think that this is his, he is the author of this, when in fact it was written by Ezra. Ezra was a scribe, he he's a contemporary, and he incorporated Nehemiah's uh, memoirs and his, uh, his diaries. In fact, in the Greek and Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate Bible, it's actually called Second Ezra. But we have in, in our Text Nehemiah. But as we consider the study of this book, uh, the first questions that may come to mind is Who is Nehemiah? And, and what is his significance in the scope of biblical history? Uh, we really don't know much about him familiarly, uh, except that in verse one, he's a son of Hilkiah, Hakaliah. Uh, and this is the only place he's mentioned in scripture. Uh, he Uh, was living in Susa, which is also known as Sushan, one of the capitals in Persia. And he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. We see that at the end of the chapter in first verse in chapter 2. But we can tell a lot about Nehemiah's character uh, simply through his position as a cupbearer. Now, my initial conception of a cupbearer was that he's dispensable. (laughs) He's expendable. (laughs) Because his job was to test the food and test the drink uh, before the king uh, consumed it. So he would be rather expendable. But in fact, to the contrary, the cupbearer was also the king's confidant. Uh, He was one who had to be vigilant. He had to be trustworthy. He had to be loyal. But you would ask, how would a Jewish man, and we don't really know his age, get to the position of cupbearer except by God's providence. We have other examples of this in Scripture. We have Joseph, and we have Esther, and we have Daniel. God raised them up in a foreign land to a position of influence for his purposes. Uh, They were all in foreign lands. Now consider, is your workplace or your neighborhood a foreign land? Have you considered that it's God's providence that he's raised you up there, he's put you there for his purposes? Uh, It may be that Esther was influential in his appointment or uh, he received favor since she was actually King Artaxerxes' stepmother. But uh, in in God's providence, we see uh, in verse 2 that Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity about Jerusalem. In verse 2, we see the launching of what was to become God's life calling for Nehemiah from that point forward. now It had been 140 years uh, since the fall and destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. And and Judah had been under Persian rule for the last 93 years. Uh, As we read read in Ezra, God had been merciful in, in working in the hearts of the Persian king Cyrus and Darius, allowing Shazbazar and Zerubbabel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And then King Artaxerxes allowed Ezra to return to establish worship and a spiritual renewal. Uh, but now, uh, 93, later, 93 years later, uh, Nehemiah gets visitors. Hananiah was his brother, and it says, and some men from Judah. Uh, we, we don't know exactly how many men came along with him or what their purpose was in coming, but I think we can surmise that they were seeking some help from Nehemiah. I mean, when you think about it, you don't just take a trip of over 1,000 miles from Jerusalem to Sushan, through hostile territory, uh, approaching winter season, to visit your brother and see the capital. I mean, that's just not something you'd like to do. Uh, But, So so they were actually seeking his help, or at least seeking his advice. But it's interesting, it was Nehemiah uh, who raised the question about the state of things in Jerusalem, uh, the people and the city in general. But the report wasn't good. If we read on here, it says, uh, They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. It appears as though the harassment and persecution of the Jews uh, that that they had experienced throughout the rebuilding process was evidently continuing. Uh, The fact that they were considered a remnant would indicate that many of the Jews who could have come didn't. And perhaps even some that were in the, some of the rebuilders uh, had gone back and had left them. And uh, to exasperate the situation, the walls and the gates were still in ruins, leaving them defenseless. And when you consider, 93 years, the city was still not completely restored. No wonder there was discouragement. But in verse 4, we see Nehemiah, his reaction to the report. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His initial response to this report was... He was physically and emotionally devastated. It says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The fact that he inquired about the condition and his initial reaction to the news indicates that Nehemiah uh, had not lost his love for God's people while living in the luxury of the king's palace. Uh, He also recognized that God had started and accomplished what God had started and accomplished to that point Uh, and that had stalled. They had become a reproach and no longer brought glory to the name of God. Perhaps there was only partial success in rebuilding Jerusalem uh, by the previous waves uh, which were the result of God working in the hearts of the kings to initiate the action. Good men took up the challenge, but did they have the leadership and faith to carry it through in the face of opposition? The final wave uh, was initiated by Nehemiah with the assistance of the king. In verses five through 10, we see Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah begins his prayer in verse five, I beseech you. Webster's dictionary defines that as to entreat or to supplicate, uh, to ask with urgency. He's saying, this is my This is a prayer of desperation. Who else can I turn to? It says, you are the Lord God of heaven. In his prayer, Nehemiah acknowledges the character and attributes of God. He pleads for God's attention to his prayer. In verse 6, he says, let your ear now be attentive. Your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Uh, He said, hear my words, see my posture, uh, and my brokenness. Consider this prayer of intercession for your people. Nehemiah then goes on and confesses his personal sins, his family's sins. Even though he was not an appointed spokesman for the Jews, he wasn't a prophet or a priest, he prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel. Which raises the question, can we pray on behalf of our nation uh, for national results, even though there's national disinterest in the things of God? Uh, Will God hear us and answer our prayers? Nehemiah believed so. Uh, It was obvious also that Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer, but he knew the scriptures. In verses 8 and 9, he realizes That they are actually living out the prophetic promises given through Moses. He refers to writings in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. He rehearses God's covenant promises to remind him. Now, does God need reminded of his covenants? No. Then why is that so common that we find in in the Psalms and in Old Testament prophets and writers? Uh, I think it demonstrates their confidence in God's love and faithfulness uh, and, and their willingness to act in accordance with his promises. He never breaks his promises and he cannot lie. Uh, and, and it's significant in this prayer that um, how many times Nehemiah refers to himself and the Jewish people as servants? Six times, or eight times rather, in verses 6 through 11. And that's consistent with the use of the possessive your, says your servant, your people. And as cupbearer, Nehemiah would have a clear understanding of the duty and responsibilities of a servant. Uh, He was a servant to the king, and he was a servant to the king of kings. Now, in verse 11, Nehemiah's prayer changes focus. He moves from a prayer of praise and confession and remembrance to a prayer to God to a prayer for God to use his great power and strong hand. One commentator observed that there was nothing humanly possible that Nehemiah could do on his own to help in this situation in Jerusalem. He was hundreds of miles away. He had no resources. He had responsibilities to the king that required his attendance, his presence. He was not an influential leader of the Jews, so he could influence others. The only resource he knew he had was prayer to the God of heaven. Now, can we relate to this here at Grace today? Uh, We're looking at a building program that is four times our annual budget. Uh, Humanly speaking, we don't see the resources to accomplish this. Uh, But God does. And so we must draw on the one certain resource we do have, and that is prayer. So once more, Nehemiah beseeches God to hear his prayer and the prayers of the remnant who desired to see God, and uh, to see God honored and respected among the nations. He asked God to make him successful in presenting his plan to Artaxerxes, not relying on any ability that he might have. Um, he also asked for God to work in the king's heart to be compassionate to their plight. And I think here is our key point in this chapter. Nehemiah's own compassion for his people, his love for God, and his desire to be obedient to God's word drove him to action that we see in verses 2 and forward. I'll, I'll repeat that. Nehemiah's own compassion for God's people and his love for God and his desire to be obedient to God's word drove him to action. So how does this apply to us today? Uh, Well, the world plays on people's emotions and seeks their compassion to get them to contribute to many causes. And they're successful at what they do. Uh, We say we have compassion for souls. Uh, We love God's word. We want to obey his word. Um, Yet are we driven to action? Are we as broken as Nehemiah was over souls? and the current condition of the church. If not, we need to, and I include myself, I need to use Nehemiah's prayer as a model to approach our king to have compassion on us and grant us success in working out his plans. This is a prayer in which we praise God for who he is, admit our sin, acknowledge his faithfulness, and ask for his power, then act with confidence. Yeah.